So I want to look today at the king who rode a donkey. And uh, let's, let's draw it out together first. I, we've really been enjoying drawing stuff out together. So let's just... Um, and if you're new, don't expect much of my artistic skills. That's not why we do this. So here's a... Let's see, here's the gate of Jerusalem here. There's some stones around it. And then here's the... Let's say this is the city wall. And over here we have Har Hazetim, the Mount of Olives. See? There's an olive tree on it right now. And some olives on the ground. And um, then we have... Let's see, here's the road coming up the way. And then here's like um, the Temple Mount area. Let's say it's something like this. Okay. So... Yeshua sends two of his guys, and it's actually really cool, because he has like a, it's like by word of knowledge, like he just, it's like divine ESP, of the righteous kind, where he just knows something, he says, okay, there's going to be a donkey, and then a baby donkey, uh, go and get them, if someone says anything to you and objects, because that's kind of like the equivalent of just going and like, driving off with someone's car while they leave it running, um, this is what you say to them. So anyway, sure enough, someone objected, it says in the other two Gospels, and um, they get the donkeys... And Yeshua is ascending up to Jerusalem. So, um, here, we'll make some room for the donkey here. Let's see. I've never drawn a donkey before. This is going to be really neat. So here's the donkey. And from appearances, it looks like Yeshua may have even ridden the, the baby donkey. It wasn't even like the full-size donkey. I guess that would be called a colt. There. And uh, he's a happy donkey. And then here's the master riding the donkey. I like to draw him with a crown even though he didn't wear a crown because he was the Mashiach, the king. So, there we are. And then um, all of Yeshua's Talmudim, his disciples, were... Uh, were all crowded around him. They were coming out of the city to greet him and they were all throwing their garments on the road. So um, I'll just draw chunks of stuff to represent garments. And everyone was cheering and welcoming him and saying, Hoshana! What does Hoshana actually mean in Hebrew? Save us now. That's right. And they were calling him Ben David. That means the Messiah, the King. So anyway, there are lots of people there. I won't draw all the people. I hope that's okay. We'll just draw a couple to represent that. So that was the, that was the scenario. And uh, that's what I want to look at with you today. So we already read this passage. I'll just read it again so that we can really be zeroed in on that. Uh, the prophet Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and riding a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And um, this is a prophecy about the anointed king of Israel, about the Mashiach. In, the, in traditional Judaism, this is understood to be a prophecy about the, uh, the king. In Hebrew, we would call the anointed king the Melech HaMashiach. A melech is a king. Everybody say melech. And an anointed is Hamashiach. Everybody say Hamashiach. 
And of course, that's, you know, Messiah, we say in English, or, or Christos in the Greek. So that's, that's who we're talking about. I'll, I'll actually I'll, I'll share with you three texts from ancient Jewish writings suggesting that this is a passage about the King Messiah. In Midrash Kohelet, which is like the ancient Jewish commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes, the sages draw these comparisons between Moshe, Moses, and Mashiach, the Messiah. Because there are a distinct set of parallels between these two guys. It makes sense. Moses says, there's going to be a prophet like me that comes from among your brothers. So there should be quite a few similarities between Moses and the Messiah. So they're drawing all of these parallels. And one of them they draw is that both of them come on a donkey. If you read in the book of Shemot or Exodus chapter 4 verse 20, it actually says that Moshe took his wife and his two sons and he put them on a donkey. It's a pretty heavy load for a donkey, but that was the case. So when Moses, the first redeemer, came to the people of Israel, he came with a donkey in tow. And, according to the prophet Zechariah, the king is going to come on a donkey also. I'll read you a text from the Talmud. The Talmud was compiled between 2 and 500 CE. And it's kind of what Judaism today is built on. It's like the, the theological works of Judaism. And it's, um, it's, it's not all looked to necessarily as divine truth. It's like a book often of opinions, of history, of such things. So I'm not quoting the Talmud here for doctrine, right? I'm quoting so that you can better understand the Jewish interpretation of this passage. In the, in the Talmud, in the book uh, Sanhedrin 99a, uh, it says, Rabbi Hillel said, There shall be no Messiah for Israel, because they have already enjoyed him. In the days of Hezekiah. So according to this rabbi, Hezekiah was the Mashiach. He was the anointed one. And uh, Israel should give up hoping for a Messiah. Rabbi Joseph said, May God forgive him for saying so. Now, when did Hezekiah flourish? During the first temple. Yet Zechariah, prophesying in the days of the second, proclaimed, and then he quotes this passage. So, that's a classic example of the dictum, two Jews, three opinions. In the Talmud, one, one sage will say this, and the other will say, nope, what about this? And it's a, it's a classic case of that. So one rabbi says, Hezekiah was the Messiah, let's give up waiting for Messiah. The other rabbi says, may God forgive him for saying that, and then he quotes this passage, referring to the Messiah. Uh, we also have in the same book, Sanhedrin 98a, it says this, Rabbi Alexandri, there's a good Jewish name for you, said, Rabbi Joshua opposed two verses. It is written, And behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. So that's the first verse he quotes in the book of Daniel, referring to the Messiah, coming with the clouds of heaven. Whilst elsewhere it is written, Behold, your king comes to you humble and riding upon a donkey. Can you notice, there seems like there's a paradox here. On the one hand, Messiah is coming on the clouds of heaven. On the other hand, he's coming on a donkey. These are very different concepts. So this is his, this is his solution. If they are meritorious, he'll come with the clouds of heaven. If not, lowly and riding upon a donkey. So that, that was this rabbi taking a shot at the solution. Well, if Israel deserves the Messiah, he'll come on the clouds of heaven. If Israel doesn't deserve the Messiah, he'll just come on a donkey. Uh, apparently, this was, this was in conversation with a king. Because it goes on to say, King Shapur said to Samuel, You maintain that the Messiah will come on a donkey. I would rather send him a white horse of mine. And uh, Samuel replied, Have you a hundred-hued steed? 
And it's kind of a puzzling text. Uh, there, I think there was some kind of concept in the Jewish world that maybe the Messiah would come on a donkey with a hundred different tones or something like that. But it's interesting that this pagan king even, when he heard that the king of Israel was going to come on a donkey, he said, you know, I could, get, I could supply a really nice royal steed for the Messiah. So those are a couple of texts for you from traditional Judaism suggesting that this passage is about the Messiah. It's really, it's really shocking that Yeshua the king of Israel, like the ultimate king of Israel, rode into the capital city on a donkey. Like even this pagan king support. He, he could figure that out. He's like, why doesn't he ride a horse? Kings don't ride donkeys. They ride horses. Like today, what, do you, what does your run-of-the-mill world leader or general of an army ride? They'll, they'll ride into a city, uh, maybe like, let's say, in a tank or uh, in an armored limo cavalcade surrounded by security. Or at least like you'd come in on a Hummer or a Harley or something. But Yeshua comes to Jerusalem like on the equivalent of a scooter. Like, can you imagine President Obama riding into Washington, D.C. after winning the elections on a scooter? That's the picture. Like, it wasn't even a donkey. It was a baby donkey. I mean, that would be, that would be a security nightmare if President Obama tried to ride into Washington, D.C. on a scooter, eh? But that's what Yeshua did. And you just, you get this feel that Yeshua was so out of the box. Like, the way he operated was so against the grain. It was so counterculture. It was so not how the normal people would do things. He was a different kind of king, really. So Yeshua rides into Jerusalem on a scooter. And I, I just want to meditate today on what that means, that our king rode a donkey, our king rode a scooter. Actually, uh, my, my, uncle, my uncle Paul, he, uh, when he was in his teens, he really wanted a motorcycle, because all his buddies had motorcycles, and my grandparents bought him a scooter. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> it's like, all your buddies are with the motorcycles, and you got your scooter, and you're trying to keep up. I don't know. But, so, let's just kind of look at this, this um, contrast between a horse and a donkey. Like, when you think of a horse, what are some of the words or descriptive phrases that, that come to your mind when you think of a horse? No, you don't have to flip there just yet. I'll tell you when to, when to flip. Conqueror. Conqueror. Strength. Strength. Speed. Speed. Majestic. Majestic. Going. Going. Going places. Regal. Fashionable. There's a good word. Horses are very beautiful animals. There are a lot more horse lovers in this world than donkey lovers. I don't know if you noticed. Like most little girls don't dream up, dream of like growing up and having a donkey and riding donkeys. You know, it's interesting. How about um here? I have some pictures of donkeys for you. We can look at these. So they're kind of humorous. You might want to just hit one of the lights too, even if you can't see them very well. So there's a there's a picture of a donkey that was way overloaded and the trailer tipped over backwards and he's right up off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and next picture, here's another one of a poor donkey, and this guy just overloaded that trailer with firewood, and the donkey's hanging right off the ground. <laughs> 
Here's another one of a man with the back of a car and kind of like a chariot with a donkey hooked up to it. And it says Geo, so maybe it was part of a race or something. Like, we don't really have donkeys in our culture, eh? So I, I thought I would try and pick some pictures to help us, like, think, what, what does a donkey function as in a Middle Eastern culture? What does the donkey, donkey represent, let's say, in Yeshua's time? So there's another good picture. She looks pretty adventurous. She's standing on the trailer and riding the donkey, like, with the donkey on the front, like it's a chariot. And then I have one more picture. We'll just leave it on that one. That's a, that's a Spanish, I think called a Catalina or something. It's like a Spanish type of donkey that actually runs wild. So that's kind of neat. You can, you can flip the lights back on there. So, hmm? A wannabe. A wannabe, yeah. So when you, when you think about donkeys, what kind of words come to mind? What kind of words would come to mind to a Middle Eastern person in Yeshua's time? Hmm? Meek? Mild? You can leave them all on, that's good. <laughs> Bottom of the scale. Poverty. Hmm? Stubborn. Oh yeah. Slow. Yeah, donkeys are tough. Donkeys are hard workers. Donkeys are yeah, humble types of creatures. Um. I don't know if anyone would say that a donkey is particularly beautiful unless it's another donkey talking. Um, donkeys typically are probably viewed as relatively ugly creatures. And if you've ever heard a donkey... Have you ever heard a donkey braying before? They sound like they're demon-possessed. Serious. It's terrifying. I remember Genevieve and I were hiking in Israel and I think it was the first time I heard a donkey and I did not know what it was. And it scared me, seriously. Like It just sounded like a monster like someone that had to, something really bad in him and needed to get out. That, that kind of idea. So, again, you know, if you're a human being, that's what you think. If you're a fellow donkey, maybe it's like, oh, that's such a lovely singing, I don't know. But, so those, those are some things that come to mind when, when we think of donkeys. So I, are they protected, though? Because they use them in the fields to keep the coyotes and whatever. Yeah, I think you're right. Because if you keep a donkey with a flock, people, shepherds will sometimes keep a donkey with a flock of sheep, don't they? They're very protective and loyal, and they'll kick the heads in on a coyote if the coyote comes too close. I've heard of cases like that. I, I heard of one case, I think, where a shepherd had a donkey and his flock, and some coyotes came, and in the morning he found several coyotes with their heads kicked in behind the barn. And the donkey did that. So. Well, I heard that one time uh, someone wanted to subdue their bull, and mm-hmm. tied the donkey to it. Because every time the bull wanted to do its own thing, the donkey would come into place. Really? So someone tied a donkey to a bull... And the donkey would keep the bull in line. Yeah, they're really tough little little guys. I mean, even you saw those pictures of a little donkey pulling like the back half of a car fitted out like a chariot. That's some pretty impressive pulling power. Yeah. Someone should have told the Dukabors about donkeys a hundred years ago. Hey, that would have really helped. My family's part Dukabor, so I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> donkeys can live up to 50 years. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So I'm, you know, I'm just kind of trying to think this thing through. What does it mean that Yeshua rode a donkey instead of a horse? What, 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 like what, does a horse kind of, what is a horse an emblem of? And what is a donkey an emblem of? And, and what are the differences? 
And that's kind of what I want to think about. You, you know, like in, the, in our Western world, because it's predominantly Greco-Roman, we often have our lives kind of compartmentalized into different little areas. Um, however, if you, let's say, go to the Middle East or you go even farther than that to Asia, people have a more holistic worldview. So they, they don't look so much at like methods or techniques or little um, tips and tricks. For, for, for Eastern people, it's more life is a way. Or if you have something to do, then there is a way to do it. In Hebrew, the, the word for way is a derech. Everybody say derech. Like D-E-R-E-C-H. Derech. And it's kind of notable that Yeshua said, I am the derech. Because um, to his disciples, that didn't just mean that he was like the highway to the Father, the highway to heaven. It meant, I am the way to do all of your life right now. Really big concept. So I want to kind of think just for a minute about what would like the derech, like the, the way of the horse be and the way of the donkey be in terms of how we do life as disciples of the Master. Um, the Hebrew word for a donkey is chamor. Everybody say chamor. You remember Hamor, the son of Shechem, in the book of Genesis? That was his name. Parents in Western cultures don't typically name their kids donkey, or the older English word. They definitely don't name their kids the older English word for donkey, but um, that's, that's what this guy was named. He was a prince in the city. Kind of funny. So Hamor is a donkey, and then a horse is a sus. Everybody say sus. S-U-S. So you could say that like, the way of the donkey would be derech, Hachamor, and the way of the horse would be Derech Hasus. Trying to develop this thought a little bit for us. When we look at how we do life on a daily basis, how we relate to our families and our co-workers, if you're a business owner or an employee, how you do your job, how you run your business, or if you, let's say if you're a manager, if you are, let's say, um, a pastor or in some type of clergy position, how you, do, how you do your ministry, all of these things will ultimately fall into one of these two ways. You'll ultimately be kind of going the way of the horse or going the way of the donkey. And I, I want to I meditate with you on that for a couple of minutes here, kind of feel it out. I think you could say like the way of the horse is doing things the world's way. When you are operating on the basis of the world's values, when you are following societal norms. Whereas going the way of the donkey would be like following Yeshua's countercultural ways, um, doing things according to his teachings, operating on the basis of his kingdom principles. I think those, those could be the two things. And... Um, this is a big journey that takes our whole lives, you know, studying the Master's teachings, following Him, going through that process where the old you dies through the cross, and the new you that is alive in the Holy Spirit is, is growing, that, that is in the image of the Son of God. That's a lifelong process, right? And we're all on that journey. So um, this should be relevant for all of us. I'll, I'll, um, I'll list you a couple areas that I can see Let's say in the religious world, where we, I think we follow the way of the horse, more than the way of the donkey. Um, in the world, titles are important. People throw around titles as if they were something that gave them authority over someone else, or, or a position, or it was something to kind of drop with a little, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a CEO. And then people may ask, well, really, how big is your company? Oh, well, I own it, and I'm the only one who works there. Kind of like, oh, <laughs> That happens more and more. People start businesses and then they're the CEO. And then it turns out they're also the only employee there. But anyway, um, I, I've seen that sometimes pop up in the religious world. Titles. People love titles. They flaunt titles. In my opinion, that's the way of the horse. 
So, let's say in the Messianic world, Rabbi. Some people like almost insist that you call them Rabbi. In my opinion, that's the way of the horse. It's like, the donkeys are humble, they're lowly, they just get the job done. Horses are beautiful, they're out there, maybe a little more uh, showmanship, maybe there's something to flaunt a little bit more. Um, you know, often that happens in the Jewish or the Messianic Jewish world. Uh, even though nowhere in the apostolic writings was any of the leadership of the early messianic community called rabbi, should be a reason for that. Um, often terms like father in the Catholic world, if you're a priest, or holy, reverend, most awesome doctor, or um, man, like there's a, there's a church down in Spadina in Saskatoon, and there are like three titles, I think, before the... the the, the priest's name there and I just think wow he must be a really impressive guy or, um, or, or even pastor often in the evangelical world like it's like it has to be appended to the front of your name whereas pastors are only mentioned two or three times in the New Testament so you know maybe, maybe that would be an example of how the way of the horse sometimes creeps into how we do community and how, how let's say if you're called to leadership how, how we lead um Maybe you'd be like, that's such a silly thing. Why are you picking on that? That's tiny. It's just a little tiler you have, right? But I think sometimes things like that are the tips of icebergs. If someone shows an undue fondness for having a title, as if the title makes them special, that may be the tip of an iceberg of pride, or Nicolaitanism, or something like that. Or I have to be, I have to be special through this. That would be, maybe that would be an example of that. Um, sometimes academic credentials can also be thrown around like that. I, I highly value education. I think people should pursue education. Their whole lives should be a learning process. Degrees are great because it marks, yes, you have arrived at a certain level of education. And that's good. And that's useful in the, wor- in, in the world. But sometimes I wonder if we don't tout our degrees as if it was automatically a sign that Yeshua sent us. Or that we are qualified by God to do stuff for the kingdom. Just because a man has a degree doesn't mean he knows anything about service, doesn't mean he treats his wife right, doesn't mean he knows how to serve his children, his, his, his family might be totally out of order. Degrees, in my opinion, in the kingdom mean nothing. But people will often toss them around as though they meant something. I wonder if that wouldn't be an example of the way of the horse versus the way of the donkey. That would be one that I would, I would consider. And again, you know, it's just a couple letters, not a big deal, but maybe it's the tip of an iceberg. Maybe it's doing things the way of the world instead of Yeshua's way. Um, a lot of other stuff that happens in the religious world, you see showmanship, performance, hype, pomp, sound and light shows, shock and awe tactics, emotionalism, crowd manipulation. There are so many ways in the religious world that we go the way of the horse. We do things the way the world would do it. And then we have conferences about it, and we write books about it, and we start clubs about it. And maybe it's just going the way of the horse. When Yeshua is way over here. I want to follow Yeshua. I, just, I want to do things His way. I'd rather be too much like the donkey than, than too much like the horse, in my opinion. Um, re- whole world religions do this. Whole, whole um, movements do this. Um, using military force, for instance, or um, any type of like, physical force to get people to act a certain way, or to do things your way, or to confess to your creeds. That's the way of the horse. What did God say? It's not by military might. It's not by physical strength. It's by my spirit. And you know, we would point to Islam, for instance, and say, Islam's a classic example. You know, convert or die. But sometimes we have our own ways of doing that. We have these expectations of the people in our families or community. 
and we resort to fear tactics or manipulation or control or dangling the carrot of your love in front of someone to get them to behave a certain way instead of relying on the Spirit of God and just coming to serve like Yeshua and love like Yeshua. These are some ways that I I see us sometimes falling into one or the other of these things. Here's a a really radical verse for you. Uh, Yeshua said in the Gospel of Luke chapter 16, verse 15, that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in God's sight. Detestable is not a word a lot of people use. My grandpa actually, my dad, he once used the word, he said, I detest. I was some kind of food on the table and he said, I detest that. I was like, wow, that was a really good use of the word. I don't know if I've ever heard someone say they detest something. It just means you think something's disgusting, right? So there are times when something will be touted um, according to societal norms or according to popularity and someone will like throw something out there as if we should be like ooh and ah over it and God says that's disgusting to me that is not cool at all so just think about that what is it that is highly esteemed in western culture what is it that's really looked up to in our world what is it sometimes even in the religious world that we really highly esteem could it be that God says you know from my perspective that's disgusting not even that God is indifferent towards it, but he says, I, I find that downright disgusting. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I wonder, I wonder what, what some of those things could be. Um, I'll, I'll read you a page from a radical preacher from the 1600s named George Fox. Uh, he, he had a very strong, as a young man, George Fox in England had a very strong passion for God. Um, he spent a lot of time in the Word, but... But Yeshua told him very clearly, I don't want you to go to seminary and go through the whole clerical system and become, let's say, an Anglican priest or something. I just want you to spend a lot of time with me. And so George Fox did that literally for years. And uh, he really grew spiritually. And he reached a point where God sent him to preach across England. And it was very powerful. Uh, people, many, many people came to faith from, you know, from very low, poverty-stricken or working-class backgrounds. Um, many people left the dead religious systems that they were in and began gathering in homes under the headship of Yeshua. And the Holy Spirit moved very powerfully in those home gatherings. And, uh, and um, it, was, it was a movement. And interestingly enough, it was a movement that even though it was based in small gatherings and homes, it went on to massively affect society. Uh, the Quakers are famous for societal engagement and reformation. The Quakers were very influential in seeing slavery abolished in Britain. The Quakers were very influential in seeing persecuted people groups like the Dukabors, part of which my family is, brought to Canada. Um, the Quakers, if you look at many societal reformations, they're in the middle of that. Uh, so I want, you, I want to read you a page from the journal of George Fox. I'm, I'm not saying that I approve of everything that George Fox taught or his, his methods in all, all regards, right? That goes without saying. But it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, a neat example, nonetheless, of a man who maybe was in, in touch with this idea. Now, in England, in the 1600s, every, like it was, men always wore hats when they were in public, and you always doff your hat. If you grew up in a small town, you know when you're driving along and you give someone the little wave, right? The little flick of the finger. It's, you just do that, right? If you're in a small town and you don't give the little wave, they think you're mad or you hate them, or you know, at least there's something to talk about over coffee the next morning. I was driving down uh, you know, Bill's, Bill's Road and uh, he didn't wave. Well, if you can imagine that, 
times like a hundred, that's what it was like in England. Like, you always doff your hat. Or, um, or another thing is like that back then they had two sets of words. If you're a common person, then you say, uh, oh, what is it? Like, there's thee and thou. And if you're like a respectable person, then you use another set of, uh, of, of words to address someone. And um, this is what George Fox had to say uh, about this. Moreover, when the Lord sent me forth into the world, he forbade me to put off my hat to any, high or low. And I was required to thee and thou, all men and women, without any respect to rich or poor, great or small. And as I traveled up and down, I was not to bid people a good morrow or a good evening, neither might I bow or scrape with my leg to anyone. And this made the sects and professions to rage. But the Lord's power carried me over all to his glory, and many came to be turned to God in a little time, for the heavenly day of the Lord sprang from on high and brake forth apace, by the light of which many came to see where they were. But oh, the rage that then was in the priests, magistrates, professors, and people of all sorts, but especially in priests and professors. For though thou to a single person was according to their own learning, their accidents and grammar rules, and according to the Bible, yet they could not bear to hear it. So he, he called everybody thou, instead of giving the special term of... of um, respect or whatever, and the hot hat honor, because I could not put off my hat to them, it set them all into a rage. But the Lord showed me that it was an honor below, which he would lay in the dust and stain it, an honor which proud flesh looked for, but sought not the honor which came from God only, that it was an honor invented by men in the fall and in the alienation from God who were offended if it were not given to them. And yet would be as saints, church members, and great Christians. But Christ saith, How can ye believe who receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? And I, saith Christ, receive not honor of men, showing that men have an honor which men will receive and give, but Christ will have none of it. This is the honor which Christ will not receive, and which which must be laid in the dust." Oh, the rage and scorn, the heat and fury that arose. Oh, the blows, punchings, beatings, and imprisonments that we underwent for not putting off our hats to men. For that soon tried all men's patience and sobriety, what it was. Some had their hats violently plucked off and thrown away so that they quite lost them. The bad language and evil usage we received on this account is hard to be expressed. Besides the danger we were sometimes in of losing our lives for this matter, and that by the great professors of Christianity. And though it was but a small thing in the eyes of man, yet a wonderful confusion it brought among all professors and priests. But blessed be the Lord, many came to see the vanity of that custom, and putting off the hat to men, and felt the weight of truth's testimony against it. I love the old English in that, but I love that man's radical stance too. I mean, he said, God told me not to do this. This is an honor of men that God will lay in the dust. And I, would, I want to seek the honor of God more than the honor of men. You know, that's a, that's a very powerful story. And it's interesting too how just a little thing like doffing the hat or using a certain set of words in addressing someone, people would freak out. Like, they would literally have riots. People would beat them and try and kill them because they confronted the world system. Because they said, we're seeking the honor of God. Because they followed in Yeshua's way of the donkey, shall we say? Instead of the way of the horse. Wow, eh? So, some of the things, let's say, that the world, the world esteems. What are some of the things that the world esteems that maybe 
Maybe we're even called to, you know, be indifferent towards or even detest. I, I mentioned things like titles and positions and things that feed human pride. Um, social status, external appearances, uh, popularity, cool, coolness, uh, how many followers you have on Twitter, how many friends you have on Facebook. You name it. Whatever it is that the world highly esteems, could it be that God is saying, you know what, I don't care. Or maybe even I think that's disgusting. Could it be? Could it be that... You know, Yeshua's values are radically different sometimes. So, what, what, what could the whole, like, Derech HaChamor, the whole way of the donkey, teach us? You know, like, Yeshua rode the donkey into Jerusalem. He chose that route. What would that look like for us? You know, we looked at some of the things that a donkey does, kind of the hallmarks of a donkey's ethos. What would that look like for us? I, I'll, I'll kick it off with a couple. Maybe sometimes being the nobody... Now, the donkey wasn't the person. The donkey could have been like, ho oh, ho, they're all throwing their cloaks on the ground for me while he came into Jerusalem. The donkey was the nobody in that story. He was just carrying the master. Everybody was cheering for the master. Um, That's an excellent example. Because John the Baptist, he could have said, I'm Elijah, because he was. He said, I'm a voice. Wow. That's a great example. Donkeys are ugly. Maybe sometimes willing to be the ugly one. Or to do the ugly work. Donkeys are pretty small. What's that? It's about humility. Humility, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Yeshua said, I came to serve and to give my life, right? Donkeys are small. They're not big animals, eh? Maybe sometimes just willing to be the little guy, willing to be small. Going the extra mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, not letting the right hand know what the left hand's doing when you're giving. Perseverance and persistence. Actually, in this prophetic passage, there are three terms used for donkey, eh? Um, the first one is hamor. That's your run-of-the-mill term for a donkey. Um, when it says, like, a foal, it's, that word there is ayer. Everybody say ayer. It'd be like A-Y-I-R. That means a colt, like a young donkey. And then it's actually kind of interesting. It says, Ben Atonot. Like a colt, the foal of the donkey. It literally is like, Ayer, the son of Atonot. And um, I guess Anaton is another word for donkey. And that Hebrew word for donkey, Aton, everybody say Aton. It'd be like A-T-O-N. That word for donkey is um, from the Hebrew root word to be uh, for a certain kind of strength. Like, um, what would be another example of that? You know the Hebrew name Ethan or Eitan? That's from that same root also. Um, I'll give you a couple examples of how that word is used. In the book of Genesis, where Jacob is blessing Joseph, and he says the archers harassed him and bitterly assaulted him, but his bow remained firm. The Hebrew word for firm there is Eitan. 
So like if you can imagine Joseph and how he held his course, he was steady. Even, in the, even when he came under fire, even when he was persecuted, that's that word Eitan. Another example of that word is when it says that there's a, an unsolved murder case, the elders in the book of Deuteronomy are to go to a, a, a running stream, and then they have a certain ritual that they do there, and they pray a certain prayer. The, the Hebrew word there for the running stream is Eitan. It's the same word again. So it has the connotation of like a, a, a body of water that's constantly flowing, that's steady, that's consistent, that's reliable. So Hebrew is fun because you, know, you have this Hebrew root and then it's translated into so many different words in English in different passages and we miss the connection. So those are a couple examples of this word for donkey. So the idea of an aton, a donkey in Hebrew, it also has the sense of being like steady, firm, sturdy, reliable, consistent. Kind of like you said, to persevere, Genevieve, to be persistent, that kind of idea. So if we were to kind of follow that thought through, um, to be like a donkey, it means to just... Just do your job. Just function. Just be, 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 be willing to be little. Be willing to be ugly. And be a hard worker. There's definitely like a, a good work ethic in a donkey, in the donkey community. So, and I, I admire that. Um, give you a couple examples in our community. We, we, uh, every community needs donkeys. We all need to be donkeys and just be humble and do the stuff that needs to be done for a community to do well and to grow. Um, in, you know, for our community, it's been very basic things because we keep our overhead really low and we keep our structure pretty simple. So, you know, for instance, for a while, I was doing all the setup with Genevieve beforehand and Herb and uh, Wayne in the last couple months have been coming out and helping set chairs up before our gathering. That's, that's the way of the donkey right there. Um, you know, Wayne, Wayne keeps the books for our community. It's just a job that has to be done. That's like the work of a donkey. And, and we appreciate that. And there's so many other things. People bring hala. People do this and that. We're all functioning as a body. And, and that's like the way of the donkey, right? Just doing the jobs that need to be done. Even right after this gathering, we are going to take everything down. And it's a great opportunity to follow in the way of the donkey and say, okay, I'm not just going to kind of go in the way of the horse and start chatting and having conversation and let other people do the work. I'm going to have a good work ethic. I'm going to walk in and I'm going to help clean up until everything's done. Everything's done. Right? And if I don't know what to do, I'm going to go ask someone who knows what to do. And they'll give me a job. All of these, th- this is like the way of the donkey, like where the rubber meets the road, right? And there's so many other ways in our families and our communities. So, this, um, okay, whenever you have something like this, you have the danger of being like, okay, so our conclusion is, let's try really hard to be better. Let's strain to be more righteous. Let's perform. I mean, often that's, that's how it goes, right? It's kind of like you, you hear Yeshua's call, and then your response as a human being is, I'm going to try harder, and I'm going to, you know, maybe put a little more willpower in there. And that's not the answer, right? That's not the gospel. That's works. Um, the gospel is like, we're all descended from Adam, and so we're all totally sinful, we're totally messed up, and we go the way of the world, and we always follow the way of the horse, in and of ourselves in the flesh. But Yeshua came so that that old us and that old way of doing things could die. It's the cross, right? Following Yeshua, taking up your cross, and accepting like new life through the Spirit. So the good news is it's not about trying harder. The good news is Yeshua is the humble one. He's the humblest person who ever lived. And He's living in you right now. I don't know, that makes me really happy. 
Because it's, it's a thing of rest, right? As each day goes about, you know, you stay in touch with Yeshua. You'll, you'll feel His promptings in different ways that you can follow Him in His way of serving. Maybe there will be times when you'll have a decision to make for your family or your business or whatever. And maybe you'll feel that prompting and Yeshua is saying, why not do it this way? This would be my way, right? It's, it's just that thing of following His Spirit. So it's very much a, about Him and His Spirit. Okay, let's finish this talk. I want to look at some graffiti ancient Roman graffiti from the like 18 or 1900 years ago. It's some of the first graffiti of Christians. It's, um, it's called the Alexa Menos Graffito. It's also called the Graffito Blasphemo. You probably can't see it very well there. But um, I'll, I'll, there's, a, there's a better picture that I'll show you in just a second. This is some graffiti that was discovered in 1857 near the Palatine Hill. Uh, this, this, the building that this graffiti is on was originally acquired by the Emperor Caligula and it was to be used as a boarding school for imperial page boys. So if you can imagine like a boarding house for page boys who were going to go into the imperial court system, this is, this is the place where they lived. It was their, it was their boarding school. And um, kids can be artistic. Kids like to write on the walls. Um, it's kind of funny because when we think of graffiti, we think of like 20th century graffiti, right? But graffiti is like as old as the Roman Empire. People were marking up the walls and I guess they didn't have spray paint, but whatever the equivalent was 2,000 years ago. So if you want to flip to the next uh, slide, this is, this, is the, this is the graffiti. And, and if, if, as you can see, um, there's a man on the left and he's, he's raising his hand up to a figure on a cross with a donkey's head. And you kind of miss it. It doesn't have the whole picture, but in the top right is like a towel, which is like a cross by itself. And what's written in the Latin inscription is Alexamenos worships his God. This is some of the earliest um, pictures that we have of Christians. This is, um, I think, one of the earliest artistic like, depictions of the crucifixion. And it's sad because it's blasphemous, right? It's someone who's just mocking a believer in Yeshua and he's mocking the Son of God. It's totally unacceptable. He's wearing what? Yeah, there he's wearing a tie. Actually, he's a, in this picture, he's a soldier. So this is a Roman soldier. But it's, it's kind of cool that this Roman soldier was well known for worshipping Yeshua. He adored the Son of God who was crucified. That's something to be proud of. Actually, um, in the room next to the, where this graffiti is, someone else wrote on the wall, Alexa Menos Fidelis. Alexa Menos is faithful. So one of his fellow soldiers or someone who is also a believer came in and he corrected the graffiti and said, this man is faithful. That's, that's meaningful. But um, there, was, it was, there was actually a rumor going around in the first and second centuries that the Jewish people worshipped a donkey head. There was this rumor, it was introduced by Tacitus, that in the Holy of Holies there was a donkey head. And then Tacitus went on to say when um, the temple was taken or something, there wasn't anything in the Holy of Holies. He was kind of inconsistent. But this was pretty common. Um, Tertullian had to actually respond to this false rumor. Uh, he did that a couple times in, um, in the 100s, in Apology chapter 16, and Ad Nationis 11. This is what Tertullian had to say about this rumor. As Christianity is closely allied to Judaism. From this, I suppose, it was taken for granted that we too are devoted to the worship of the same image. I thought it was kind of cool how Tertullian saw early Christianity, early Messianism, shall we call it, being closely allied to Judaism. 
And he says, so it makes sense that if there was this, this um, slander about Jewish people worshipping a donkey, then it would make sense that we would get kind of smeared with the same slander. But I thought that was really significant too. Like, the world viewed the crucified Son of God as an object of shame, of humiliation, as something that was re- someone who was really not to be looked up to. I mean, he was crucified. And, and, and they viewed people who worshipped Yeshua as stupid, as worshipping some dumb object. And that's still true today, hey? The world will still look at Yeshua like that. The world will still look at you like that when you follow Yeshua. It's, it's going to happen. So... I find that inspiring to just be radical in my discipleship, to follow Yeshua at all costs, to be proud of the crucified Son of God, regardless of what the world thinks. You know, if I follow Him in the way of the donkey, with humility, applying His teachings, people will think I'm stupid. People will make fun of me because it's different. It's going to happen. Kind of be psychologically prepared for that, eh? And then, um, what John mentioned, Yeshua did enter Jerusalem on a donkey, but... It's not over yet. And he's coming back. And at the end of the book of the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah, it says he's coming back on a war steed. And he's going to win. So it's kind of cool that even though he did come into Jerusalem on a donkey that time, he is coming back like the way we think he should come back to. He's coming back as a victorious leader, as the general of the armies of God. So, um, let's saddle up our donkeys and ride with, uh, with the Master. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.